Welcome back to New Persuasive Words. I'm Scott Jones. I'm Bill Bohr. And with us is, say hello, man, our mystery guest. Greetings. I am back. I think I've been a guest before, and I have returned. It's a rerun. It is a rerun. Dr. Matt Milner is with us. Wheaton Couch. And you know what? Before... The doctor that can't help you. <laughs> Unless you have an art historical emergency of some kind. A doctor that will never make money. <laughs> yeah, that too. that too. But probably not be sued. Well, well, you never know. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it could still happen in our litigious age. It's a forgery. It's a forgery. And he told me it wasn't. Yeah. <laughs> I, do, I do have an art historian friend who, um, who was marshaled with the task of repairing the wound on a painting that happened from a champagne cork that went astray. Now, that's, that's exciting on-the-spot emergency surgery there. So it, it can happen. Can you name the painting that was injured? Um, I don't know. I did, did not get those details. I was sufficiently elated that my profession had use that I everything was a fog <laughs> after that. Yeah. There could be a whole new BBC mystery uh, show about the uh, art historian who goes around repairing broken things from parties. That could be a good. That, that sounds like like, like the dog whisperer, but yeah. a different, a special like the twist dog whisper, on whisperer, yeah. but um, different. Right, very good. Yeah, I like it. So, Matt, actually, the first time you were a guest of ours. It was like our biggest, it was a download-breaking, record-breaking podcast. It was and like, and now, now that's routine for you guys. You guys hit those numbers all the time. So I do. was there at the ground floor. You were there at the, at, the, at the bargain basement. But we're always open for a new scandal, Wheaton, to help our ratings. So feel free well, to just well, let that happen out there. Well, the, wheel of, the scandal Wheel of Fortune seems to have passed to other schools lately. So we feel like we got, we got ours in early. And we just watch, watch it, just the media, social media spotlight, just move around college campuses. It'll come back to us shortly, I'm sure. Okay, but that does look like there could be medicinal marijuana behind him there. Oh, yeah. It? Oh, could yeah. Be. So oh, yeah. we'll get that one going. So. My views yeah, on, that, my views on no, no, oh, no, wait, wait, wait for it. Those are the palms from Palm Sunday. It couldn't be more pious. Hey, do you, were you around? I don't remember if you were on staff uh, when I walked in. Uh, this Don, was at Media Presbyterian. Yeah, Matt and I worked together in a previous life, and I walk into the back of the church, the back door, and it smells like someone's smoking pot. And I walk into the church uh, kitchen, and our pastor of visitation, retired Don Norquist, who served both in World War II and Korea, is burning palms that he had saved for Ash for our Ash Wednesday service. And burning palms smells significantly like pot. And so I asked Don, I said, are you smoking pot behind the scenes here, Don? And yeah. he, he was not flustered, but it was pretty funny. I, I said, that, it might yeah. not be a good idea to burn things inside the church, Don. I well, did suggest that. Yeah. Depends if you, need a new, if you need a new church. But, you know, this, this friction fire, that's the, that's the sound of a uh, fire started by a mortgage rubbing up against an insurance policy. <laughs> <laughs> well, you, you gave all your listeners a great cover who, who have adventurous tastings. Officer, it's just palms for, for the Ash Wednesday service. There we go. Exactly. That's, all those kids go. at Wheaton College need that. Yeah, very good. <laughs> Wheaton, Wheaton, by the way, it's not, it is not the best Christian college. That is liberty, because Donald Trump's going to tell them that this weekend when he speaks at liberty. Yeah. We're, we're, we're happy to give them the spotlight. Yeah, yeah. Take, take, it, take all, all a, you want, liberty. It's a fan. Fantastic college. It's so <laughs> beautiful and amazing. I when he first spoke there last year during the campaign, he was like, I mean, I I mean, I went to Wharton School, Penn, the best school. I mean, Liberty's number two. Who knows? Penn might become number two. Liberty. Well, just as they say in two Corinthians. <laughs> Where the spirit of the Lord is there That's is true. liberty. Oh my. Oh my. Oh my. Uh, yeah, very, right, I bet you they're gonna have a nice piece of chocolate cake. <laughs> 
like he gave to President G. So <laughs> this is the Friday Night Lights and Bulgashishta all combined into one. Right. Can yeah. you cross those streams? Is we don't that know possible? yet. We haven't <laughs> tried yet, but yeah. we're giving cool. it a okay. shot right now. It's been nice knowing you, Dr. Milner. <laughs> <laughs> exactly, exactly. See you on the other side. That's exactly. right. Gonna be, but that we'll be covered in marshmallows by the time it's over. That's so. right. So we want to talk a little bit about the life of faith. Life, it's fragility, the life of faith, and the role of friendship along the way. Oh, my. Lots to talk about. Very existential. I mean, I, you, you, I mean, if, if you guys want to get heavy deep, I can talk about fragility. I like fragility. Do we want to get heavy deeper? Well, we've already warmed up our, our beloved audience with some polite banter. So let's, I mean, let's jump right in. I am the most fragile. I am, so, I mean, <laughs> I am so <laughs> fragile. You wouldn't believe it. Well, this, I, I mentioned a little bit about this to Scott, but Wheaton actually has made headlines um, in ways far worse than, uh, national scandal. Um, that is, we made headlines in the last two weeks. We had a, a sudden student death at the end of the semester. I did and, see that. That was, yeah. uh, that was very sad. Yeah. So, so I mean, we're the, um, in a track and field accident, the, the massive hammer from a tech, I mean, just hit a student in the head and, and he died on site. And it's one of those things where, I mean, everyone you'd imagine would be, you know, getting their armies of lawyers piled up to prepare to embrace this. But that's, I'm, may, that may have happened in the background, but to watch this community go through that, to, to see everyone just avail themselves of these resources that are only available to a faith community and to watch the parents come to campus to grieve with students through that was an unexpected, terrifying, but extraordinary way to end a semester. So that's really what we're coming out of. And we had, we had two services that were called on the spot. And at the second of the services, and this is just piles of grieving students, just out, I mean, wailing. And um, the second of the services, the parents came. And to see the way that they handled this and responded to it, I almost too much to, to describe in a podcast. So that would be getting heavy quickly. But that's what's been on my mind in the sense of fragility. And to, um, to experience that has, is something that we're still, we're still working through. So that, that has been present and clear in, in, in all of our minds as we conclude this semester here. Yeah, college kids aren't supposed to die uh, standing on a uh, track and field. Yeah, you're not right. supposed to die when you're 20 or 19 or whatever. Yeah, no. Right. Yeah, no. I, I, You know, I think the thing about it is that in a lot of our communities, and again, we, we kind of can live in pretty, pretty you know, consistent denial because these kind of random things we're fairly protected from, though around us this kind of stuff is happening uh, all the time, and yeah. um, and it doesn't make the tragedy any any less. And uh, you know, I think when you have a, you know, I, I remember a colleague of mine back when I was years ago when I was on Young Life staff. One of his leaders died. Um, they did we did uh, in a freak accident on whitewater rafting before the trip. He hmm. did whitewater and then he went ahead and went to camp. And the father of this leader um, flew out and asked if he could speak to the camp and his, you know. His you know, this vibrant college age, uh, his daughter uh, died. Basically, she had helped her. They uh, boated upset in the rapids. She had gotten everybody safe, and she was just kind of probably tired and got taken under. And he stood before that, uh, you know, all those high school kids and said, you know, my, my daughter died doing what she loved most, sharing her faith with you, you yeah. uh, students she loved the most. But I, I, you know, as a parent, 
Yeah, you know, you never know. You know, those are things that are terrifying to think of. And, you know, you and I both have been to too many of those things. And uh, um, um, matter of fact, I, you know, I have an article coming out in a future edition of the uh, Mockingbird magazine that talks about all those tragedies that happened back in, and, uh, in a couple of years there, back in media when we were working there. Yeah, and, and to, to see you at the helm when those things went on and was an experience that in some senses prepared me to kind of be in the midst of this. And you just, like you know, you, you, you seal your mouth and you go to where the pain is. And when, when you get to the epicenter of it, you just you sort of abide there and be with the people who are going through this. And that's how you navigate it. And the same, it's funny, the same thing happened with this parent that happened in the situation that you described is that, you know, I would think, you know, whatever you do, don't give the parents the mic. You know, they're grieving. They're, who knows what they're going to say. And yet they were bold enough to ask for it. And to see this amazing woman, hmm. Pam Roser, Ethan Roser's mother, give an impromptu 20, 25-minute sermon about how a lifetime of faithfulness prepared her for this tragedy. And just, you know, that's the most, maybe probably the most powerful thing those students are going to experience in their four years at college, because to see someone not succumb to despair, but nevertheless have faith in the midst of this, it's pretty, well, anyway, I mean, I, it's, I can't, can't get my mind out of it. It was that powerful. She said that she felt as tragic as this was, that she felt prepared for it. And her husband felt prepared for it too, in supernatural ways. And I usually, and, and when I hear that, I, I usually, my instincts go up like, whoa, are you, are you trying to spiritualize this? You guys had a wonderful conversation about kind of jumping to the glory side of grief. Right. And I was, I was equipped for that. I'm like, okay, is this going to be a little pious platitude sprinkled over despair? But it wasn't that. It was almost as if they were insulated for this and had some sense in which this shock that was coming to them that they were, they were braced for it. So it yeah. was something else. Fragility. So yeah. I, I read this book, uh, this week called Getting Jesus Wrong by a guy named Matt Johnson, really good guy. And it's interesting. He kind of, it's sort of like his own like spiritual journey. And he talks about like these different Jesuses, like life coach Jesus, uh, uh, visioning Jesus, you know, like the, uh, mm-hmm. uh, like, you know, there's all these like, they're great, you know. Uh, okay, can I, can I just, yeah. He, he has a chapter called Life Coach Jesus. Well, yeah, he's saying he basically this kind of, this kind okay, of. Like, can I just. Yeah, he, well, he basically just before you mock it. I'm not going to mock it. I'm not going to Before you mock it, I'm not. No, no, it, I'm just. I'm going to my happy place. I'm not going to say anything because yeah. it's Happy Friday. <laughs> yeah. Go ahead. I'm sorry. Before you mock it, it's well, it's actually a great chapter because you see what he describes as the life coach Jesus churches are. <laughs> There's a little bit of grace for you, like you. Jesus got you out of this, but man. Don't screw it up again. And with these principles, oh, okay. you won't need Jesus again. And he kind of like talks about how that was so. so one of these, yeah, okay, I get it yeah. now. I'm sorry. Yeah. Thank you. I jumped too soon. Yeah, okay. yeah. yeah. Uh, no, no, that, that actually he def- basically gives these four pictures of Jesus he experienced in four different parts of like, that he thought were um, exhausting, ultimately, you know, and demoralizing, and yet offered something on the front end that okay, this is the thing. But I said to him, I was taught, I interviewed him actually. I said, but, but you have this book, Getting Jesus Wrong. But what if you get him? You're getting him wrong now. Are you gonna? Is the next book the revision of? It's like revision. <laughs> but no, it's a good book. But he talks about how in it, that basically so much of of contemporary American spirituality focuses on mountaintops, and that that's often not where we meet the real Jesus, but we meet him. And that he says Jesus promises us union in his death and resurrection. And, and ultimately, at the end of this life, that's our hope. And he says, and usually in between, he meets us in the many deaths, um, yeah. which only happen in the context of fragility. And, you know, I, 
most wow. of the time where we where we experience great growth or insight or oftentimes when we're close to our fragility it's not when we're i mean not that success isn't nice and great but but most people yeah. i think don't you don't generally get the the most existential insights in when in the midst of great success where you feel the least fragile yeah you, well, we, you we, yeah you learn more from losing yes and that, i mean that's my experience under Bill is, you know, working for him is like, you kind of prepared Bill, me early on. Loser, loser. Yeah. <laughs> of like, hey, you're, you're going to fail at this. And that's the last thing I wanted to hear. Yeah. But but that's exactly what happened. I mean, I, we talk about God in the gaps in the re- regard to the bad ideas about God that lead to secularization. Um, the God in the gaps view of science. Like, oh, yeah, we can't explain that. God is there. And then when we explain that, he's gone. But I think I've had a God of the gap spirituality. Where it's like, okay, well, you know, I need God where I've really buckled under, but then I'm going to fix it such that, you know, I have I have enough spiritual discipline or or ways of uh, putting on a good face for him in my life that I don't ever need him like that again. Hmm. And he just sort of retreats. And yet um, when that facade falls and that gap is there, that's where his grace is able to flood into my life again. But that's that's really for, for all for you listeners out there wondering what it was like to work for Bill Bohr. I mean, you just kind of took this person who was a youth pastor for your congregation who was ready to to have and i remember you saying to me once bill um because i was reading all this youth ministry stuff like oh you can grow your church and get the students in it's going to be great and you just looked at me just kind of smiling you, you know you know you don't need success right now and that was so counterintuitive to everything that i was reading what do you mean i don't need success that's exactly what i what i need i want i want this church to to be busting at the seams and everyone coming in this is the place to be and yet that turned out to be the case, but I wasn't ready to hear that until it happened and, and things didn't. And, you know, ministry is difficult. And once the difficulty happens, that's where you see the breakthroughs occur. Of course, you did have dreadlocks and we're doing a drum circle in the middle of town, too, as well, part of your yeah, that, ministry. That always helps. That, yeah, <laughs> precisely. Yeah. That was the key kids we were going after. Exactly. Yeah. That, that, exa- whatever kids. it takes. Whatever it takes. You know, all things to all people. Key kids, key kids. Paul key must kids. have had dread. Well, I won't go into that. Okay. Now, uh, you know what? I always picture Paul bald. You know why? Because I grew, the church I grew up in, they used to, most of you don't remember this, but it was a little poor Methodist church and they had flannel graphs. So, oh, yeah. Yeah. So they would do the Bible stories. And so I finally figured out the same person that was Elisha for the Old Testament was Elijah. Or was uh, Paul in the New Testament? They just used the same flannel graph. That's figure. why he's bald. That's exactly. why, because Elisha was bald. But and, yeah, uh, I like that. And don't point that out because bad things happen. Uh, but anyway, oh yeah, the bears, the bears are coming. <laughs> oh man! Well, but there what, we go. But you know what? I guess. All right. So here, I'll I'll do the really unsmooth uh, transition. Very segue, good. segue. Well, I'm ready. Uh, segue. But what? How? One of the ways we get through these uh, how um, fragile things are um, is with friends. Friends is what helps get yeah. us through. Yeah, you know, I was thinking about this uh, yesterday. I was thinking about is the 2012 presidential election campaign, and Obama was making a statement about business businesses and how you know business is great, but like, but what enables business to function are things like infrastructure. And he pointed to bridge. You know, you have this business and it's great and successful, but that bridge that you ship your goods over, you didn't build that. And then, of course, they excerpted it. Excerpted yeah. it. So your business, you didn't build that. I mean, which it was so disingenuous. But but I I think about so much of life is like that, right? Like it it so much of of the things we do love and savor and experience something like success or or things. That, I mean, so much of it is a shared endeavor. It is I mean it, we are I, I mean 
we are ontologically in some on some level right constituted by the relationships we're in like if you know like if it's i you know i think peter lehart once wrote when you get baptized your story's no longer i'm peter lehart from alabama but your story becomes my father was a wandering Aramean. Hmm. and you 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 kind of hmm. you, you're you are hmm. defined in many ways by your relatedness and and success and failure and i think you're right bill it's like how we get through the the failures that come in the midst of our fallenness our fragility our flailing is so often the people that really are our friend, are right, our friends, right. yeah. Because they're they because their friendship is not contingent on what we can do for them, yeah. yeah. And our and and that's in regard to once one becomes skilled at those friendships, we we had a situation here at Weedon a couple of years ago where the person who was far and away the most skilled friend among us, he just was the most, as Alan Jacobs said, he was the most gregarious person God had ever created. He just he was the sun in our social solar system. And then he got a late diagnosed stage four colon cancer and he was gone. And so we kind of, it's when that person with those kind of abilities to interconnect, when he's gone now, we're sort of realizing like he was holding us together and we're trying, you have to cultivate these friendships to keep them going in new ways. And it's harder to do that than we had anticipated without the the linchpin, Brett yeah. Foster yeah. in the middle of it all. Yeah, it is amazing. That is that is a, that is such a gift, and not everyone has it. And uh, when you lose someone like that, particularly in a group, you you realize that uh, yeah. they did that. You know, I, I, one of the things that's interesting, uh, Scott and I were talking about the podcast. According to uh, one measurement, we are now a successful podcast that you, that Scott, had uh, listened to. Well, and, and I have a, a wow, a certified letter from a very. <laughs> Very reputable <laughs> podcasting. I mean, very high power. And they say, I've sent it to Senator Lindsey Graham to tell him about podcasting success with a piece of chocolate cake. Uh, that's right. So we, we have a certified letter saying that we're a successful podcast now. And, uh, and of course, Scott's really becoming uh, an expert about podcasting and has, uh, you know, has, has well, he's, he's, Scott's one of those friends, one of those yeah. connectors that brings people together. Yeah, it, it was interesting. Uh, he, he, but he was talking about that. He, someone, I guess you, someone interviewed you, and you were talking about this our podcast, and you would say it it, it would never work. In other words, it doesn't fit in any particular. Right, category. right, yeah, yeah. If I was telling somebody to design a podcast, I would never tell them to do what we do. But I think part of so, it's an extent- so there's a bunker. First off, there's a bunker. <laughs> well, that's the yeah, part. That's, that's the one thing I would say to do. <laughs> Get a bunker. But you know, uh, it's part of it is it's an extension of our friendship. Uh, it, re- it really is our friendship. We're recording our friendship. Yeah. And our friendship really has been tempered through both of us being there for the other person during some very difficult times. And, uh, yeah. and uh, I think, um, you know, on some levels, you know, people, <laughs> you were interviewed recently and asked, well, how we prepare for our podcast. And, um, <laughs> <laughs> and I said, well, you know, well, you can say we've been doing it for 10 years. Uh, but, uh, Anyway, exactly. Yeah. Um, and I think that's something, you know, um, I remember being very frustrated years ago when I was a Young Life Area director and very frustrated. We worked with tough kids. And uh, Don Baker, who does listen to our podcast, a great pastor in central Pennsylvania, uh, he and I were doing Young Life together. And we were so frustrated because everything went bad. You know, the music went bad. The talk didn't work. The skit didn't work. And we were both complaining afterwards. And someone said to us, because, you, you know, you two are idiots. <laughs> you realize the reason they come to you, the reason kids come to this club is because they love watching you two love each other. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's something that, we, that's what draws people. Yeah. Well, I don't know that we often do that enough in ministry. I mean, we don't we don't demonstrate 
um, collegiality or not collegiality. That's not the word. The word is that we are brothers and sisters in Christ and we need each other and that um, people don't see those of us in ministry and leadership loving each other enough publicly. And I think that's, um, I mean, that's, you know, <laughs> I, I don't know why we feel that we somehow could do it better than Jesus. Jesus or the apostles, they went out by twos, you know, Barnabas and, yeah. and uh, Saul split up and immediately well, they replicate the team. And that's and it's some, sometimes it's counterintuitive to think Jesus is Lord. He is God. This is all true. He, but he was a great friend yeah. and he is a great friend. And he brought these people together. And, and then it also opens up different hidden pathways to your prayer life that you didn't realize were there when you start to approach him in that way. And it, it, I, I just find my heart opens up when I think of prayer as that kind of a conversation. That's one of the most important ways to proceed. Yeah, no, and I think it may be Raymond Brown's autobiography or Raymond Brown's biography of Augustine that says you realize he was never alone. Yeah, and in the sense that he was always purposefully surrounding himself with friends and people. That yeah, right. I yeah. mean, he's a monk, right? I mean, this is he's. I mean, he yes, yes, he he does forego the life of sexual pleasure, but he he nevertheless was involved in a celibate community where that pleasure was rebounded with the pleasures of friendship. Well, give, that, me, give me chastity, but later. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sorry. I just, I'm, I'm just quoting Augustine. <laughs> exactly. Chastity is amazing. It's fantastic. Um, yeah. You know, it's interesting too. Like I had a conversation this week with Rusty Reno, we were talking about, and it's very interesting because Rusty's politics. By, by the way, Scott thinks Rusty and I would get along. Oh, you guys would get along great. You he's fantastic. Would... Yeah, he is. Yeah. He's fantastic. I, I'm going to get Ru- you and Rusty a piece of chocolate cake. <laughs> um, now, like now, but I think in Rusty and I, our politics are are quite different in some ways, and yet the by the end, of the, I mean, we agreed on so much about the social fabric in America. He wrote this great essay called the coming of the strong gods. And basically how in, in a world of flux, like and by the strong gods, he means things like nationalism, a kind of popular racism. Sometimes, you know, it, it, these things are good. The, the, the pagan certainty. Yeah. Right. The paganist kind of, pagan kind of certainties and, and, and securities. And, you know, part of what we're talking about, how just, it's, it's the bowling alone thing. It makes so many people. And I mean, I mean, not to, and I think you could be alone. You could be not necessarily alone, but also not really have friends. I mean, part of, uh, yeah. It, it, like, it, and also friends when you really have conversation and you really share space together and, 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 and know and are known and, and they help you see the world differently and, and, and more richly and more deeply. And I think there are a lot of people that are, have a sense of companionship, you know, and literally companion eating together, maybe eating or drinking together. Huh. But, but actually there's more, being concealed and being revealed. Yeah. yeah. And, 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 those and that's really, exhausting. That's yeah, absolutely it's exhausting. Lonely. It's lonely. Yeah. And I do think, I mean, I think it is one of, there's a lot of things in this, in this time and place we are in history that do, that does keep us separated. Many, many things that can do that, but we are well, very hungry for it. And you see that, I mean, I'm turning around to my bookshelf to see if I brought the pillar and ground of the truth home. It's in, it's up there. I probably have it at the office, but one of the most extremely uh, just stunning uh, chapters on friendship is is the chapter on friendship in Pavel Florensky's incredible book. All this great Russian theological literature has been translated in the last decade and a half. It was suppressed for a while. And you read a genius like Pavel Florensky, and who was um, a 
mathematical and scientific mind to be contended with. There's a story where um, after the Russian Revolution, he was working in a, in a lab with a priest's cassock on, and Trotsky comes by and says, hey, who's that? You know, why is he? And well, it's Pavel Florensky. He's allowed to do whatever he wants. And Trotsky says, well, you know, is he really that smart? Bring him to the symposium tonight, but not in that cassock, right, where we got rid of religion. And then, <laughs> but, but, then but then they tell Florensky, he's like, sure, I'll come, but I'm wearing this, like, because I'm a priest. And he got away with it. So that's who Papa Florensky was. This really, and then he ended up. Just to conclude the story, when Florensky graduated, he was called the most brilliant student at the University of Moscow in mathematics in generations. And he was offered a professorship when he graduated, and he declined it. And with a twinkle in his eye, said, "No, I'm going to become a priest." Just kind of flew it in their face. When got theological education, then the revolution happened. He wanted to become a monk, and yet he ended up becoming a monk after decades of life of life of his, as a secular priest because he went back to the very monastery that he had originally intended to enroll in but because that monastery had become the prototype for the gulags in soviet russia so it's this unbelievable vocation imagine that you feel drawn to a monastery but then your spiritual advisor says no you have gifts in the world go be in the world and he goes and bees in the world and then he ends up in that monastery where, where it was um, his destiny to die as a martyr. But I re- mentioned this in regard to friendship because he's so brilliant. He's called the Russian Leonardo. At the darkest days of the gulag, um, they're about to kill him. And he says, oh, don't kill me yet. I can invent a non-coagulating oil heater so that you can stay warmer. And he did. I mean, this is how he, he continued to exist. Yeah, that's and, that's what I did too. That's what I'm saying. Right. So. I mean, but and I. <laughs> why do I mention job. that? It'll it'll get us by through the through the dark times. But the reason I mentioned in regard to friendship is because you're like, where does this ingenious mind come from? Who was both an art historian and a mathematician and all these? Is that it's all coming from his friendship? Of much of it with Sergius Bulgakov, who is mm, the other mm, great right. Russian mind who is absolutely mm. transforming the theological scene right now as his stuff is translated from Russian. And you see the famous picture of them together, kind of walking through the fields in this theological friendship. And it's like, do you want to change the the world of theology and, and bring new ideas to bear? Well, have conversations like the ones that you are having, because it's same with artistic movements. It's artists Matisse and Picasso in rivalry with one another, and then that friendship after the envy goes away, slowly becoming more collaborative. I mean, this is the way exciting things happen. It's these swellings that happen when when people gather together, as you have in new persuasive words. Well, and maybe part of, you know, one of the things we've talked about increasingly are we're concerned about the the way the antagonism, the strong antagonism in our country, uh, and how it certainly... uh, you know, it's not different in the church and in the religious community. And these kind of cross-discipline friendships and cross-the-aisle friendships. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, I think— it's- Robbie George and Cornell West. Yeah. 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 Like, th- like this week, I, you know, I had, two, I had two great conversations. One was with Dan Savage. The other was Rusty Reno. And yeah. these guys are on the opposite sides of lots of spectrums. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And, and, but they both care deeply about— American public life, and, and, you know, huh. you know, yeah. and, 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 and in a small C conservative way. I mean, they both want to see the kind of bonds that make life less lonely, more stable, more, you know, see more human flourishing. Now, you know, I don't agree with either of them on everything, but, uh, but I think that's, you know, yeah. it, 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 I feel like it's it, it's interesting. I was in this forum 
uh, in New York on free speech because Mark Oppenheimer was like the one token. He was literally the token liberal Jew, a two for token. <laughs> Although there was a conservative Jew on the panel, so maybe it was. But yeah, it just struck me that one of the reasons why I think on the right and the left, free speech isn't as valued, right? It's because we're so siloed up, right? Yeah. And, and 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 on some level, I think when you're when you're not when free exchange of ideas among difference enveloped in a broader unity to for hey we want to be in this together our civil covenant we really want to when that erodes you really don't care if those people don't get to you know right well or, you know like i you i think that your your sense for tolerance um gives way to a sense of contempt and uh-huh. and, and and then it's just and the idea like free the first amendment just seems quaint i mean yeah. it's just it just seems like an old antiquated kind of notion and i think and, yeah. and I, th- I think though that at the at the heart of that is things like faith and friendship. You know, I mean, it, it's really like this idea that there is something transcendent in this life and through friendships uh, and, and think that, that we get a sense of the horizontal, um, you know, channel for the transcendent. Now, you can't reduce it to well, the horizontal, but it, it does connect us to it. And and let's talk about fragility in regard to those friendships. Like to go back to Bogakov and Florensky, is that, you know, Sergius Bogakov ends up at the St. Sergius Institute in Paris because he fled Russia. And I mean, that may have been the right thing for him to do. He ended up kind of dialoguing with Anglicans. He's working. He's, and that's what makes, makes him such an interesting Orthodox thinker in regard to some of the more conservative emigres that ended up in the United States. He was really pushing in all these different directions, had a profound love for democracy as an Orthodox Christian, he saw that that needed to be pushed forward. And this is the stuff that the wonderful book, The, um, the Mystical as Political, unpacks, is that Bulgakov is a great resources for, resource for Orthodox Christians who might want to push against Putin and stuff. But here's the deal. Um, Florensky stays, and he ends up dying a martyr's death. And so this deep, rich friendship that emerges, this circumstances tear them apart. And it makes me for a moment to say, hey, enjoy these friendships that you have because you don't know what's going to wrench people in different directions. And hence all the more importance to value what you've been given for the time being because friendships themselves are deeply fragile. Even if there's not a falling out, there could be a circumstantial or, a, or I mean, right now, I kid you not, um, Alan Jacobs, beloved friend, <laughs> drove up from Baylor because this is, and he used to teach at Wheaton College, and this is a time at Wheaton where we all gather um, end of the semester and, and um, fraternize in, in different ways and have a, have a good time with one there's, another. There's, before no, we there's, do- there's no convivial beverages at those things, right? <laughs> um, well, well, I will say no more. Lattes, um, lattes. But, but I mean, he's, he's driving up because, exactly, because, he's, because of the friendships that he has here. And I saw that, that for me is an image of friendship. Alan kind of, you know, making his way through through the middle of the United States to come up here and just, just to spend some time with us because circumstances took him away. He was called to Baylor for a while, and, and, um, but he's coming back. So it's just, and that is for, pe- for T.G. Wheaton, you know, people say it's like sometimes, oh, you know, these are the things I don't like about this community. Then they go elsewhere and they come back and they're like, man, there's a lot of failure of friendships and a lot of that because, of course, envy is the primary, you know, engine of so much academic work. And um, that we have that here, but that tends to run wild in other places. And here um, we, we want to hopefully move from envy to admiration. Yeah. And when we, when, and when you can move from envy to admiration, that can preserve a friendship. But the quickest thing that will kill a friendship is envy. Yeah, that's 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 really that's a beautiful thought. Uh, who was the the children's book writer, the illustrator, where the wild things are. 
What's his oh yeah, I forget. Sendak, right? Yeah, Marie Sendak. Marie Sendak. Right? Yeah. Yeah. And I, uh, Terry Gross, just played an excerpt of her, uh, probably the final interview he gave before he died, and he was dying. Mm. And um, his words to her were, "Live your life." Uh, and I huh. would, I would add uh, a Christian corollary to that: "Live your life together." Yeah. Uh, and and uh, and cherish um, cherish those moments we have because they aren't they aren't permanent in this world. Amen to that, friends. Thank you, and good evening.